Why are you here? Whether you're sitting in the seats right now or maybe you're walking along the sidewalk and listening to this with your earbuds in your ears or if you're watching it during your lunch break at work, why? I suppose that's a, maybe an easy question to answer. Learn from God's Word. Grow in my faith. Find the strength that I need to carry me through the, the next week that lies before me. Learn how to become a better person. And show more love and compassion and kindness in my life. And all of those are great answers. But why? Why do you want to live a godly life? For some of you who might be new to Christianity, might be exploring who, who Jesus is, why, why should you be a Christian? Why, why change your life and, and follow Jesus? And if your why is because you want to earn earthly success and joy, well, then you're at risk of becoming disappointed and disheartened by the Christian faith because the Christian faith will tell you and lead you to be generous with your wealth to serve others, to give away from all that you have received. If you want to gain respect and honor and praise from other people, well, that might work out well while you're surrounded by family and friends who also adhere to the same Christian values and ethics and morals that you do, but you run the risk that that will all come crashing down, that momentary high will come crashing down when you head off to college or you get a real job or you just get connected with your broader community. And perhaps the the most dangerous one is that if your why is to earn God's eternal favor, Well, you're going to be exceedingly challenged. And you're probably going to feel frustration and stress and anxiety. And you're going to wonder if you have ever done enough. Because that is a monumental task and really an impossible task. Maybe your why is... Because you want to live a life that's going to change the world. Which I think we all do. But could it be possible that you would live an outwardly godly life, a moral, upright, and, and righteous life, and, and you would do everything right and, and follow God's commands and still be met with hardship, seeming failure? Could it be possible that you could live just that kind of life and yet not seem to make 
any difference in the world at all. Josiah, who became king at age eight, he had just that experience. And yes, he did become king at the age of eight. My son just turned eight. And so I think about him. All four feet and 60 pounds of skin and bones sitting on the throne with ultimate rule and authority over an entire nation. A monumental task for an eight-year-old. But Josiah was a, he was a good and a wise king. And today we're going to investigate the way that he worked in order to eliminate the evil and the idolatry that had become such a, a custom and a routine in the kingdom of Judah over which he ruled. He's going to serve as the, the final reality check for us in this series. And he was a good king. He pursued godliness and righteousness. In fact, it was in his 18th year of reign, so he's about 26 years old, and he finally, he takes some funds that had been collected in previous generations, and he, he is the one who finally puts them to the use for which they were intended, the rebuilding of the temple, the renovation that needed to take place and the repair. And it was during that renovation project that Hilkiah, who was supposed to be the, the spiritual leader for all of God's people, he was the high priest, he discovers, finds the long-lost Book of the Covenant. I know, it sounds like an Indiana Jones movie right now, right? Mysterious, intriguing, what is this Book of the Covenant? Well, this was a foundational document to guide and direct every single aspect of the life of God's people. Their legal system, their, their government, re religious practice, social, civic, ceremonial life. It was all in this foundational document. It would have contained the writings of God's own servant, Moses, as he laid out how God wanted his people to be separate from the other nations, how he wanted them to live. It would have contained either full or partial excerpts of, of those books like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the, the Torah. Foundational to the entire nation. How could it have possibly have gone missing and yet they rediscover it? And for Josiah, this document, it gave him clarity for his rule. It guided and directed him to the exact kind of life that God desired for him to live and how he could serve best as king. But this book of the covenant, this foundational document that laid out all of God's promises to his people if they were to follow his laws and his decrees and also the judgment that they could expect should they turn aside from him. This document also brought deep distress. When Josiah heard it read, he tore his robes in a sign of 
sadness and anger and frustration. Because Josiah knew how fiercely God's anger must have burned against his people for their wickedness and their idolatry. And so he decided to put into action a plan to change his kingdom. A plan to eliminate idolatry, to return the people back to the worship of the Lord. He desired to change his world. And it's that course of action that we have laid out for us in 2 Kings chapter 23. As Josiah sought to change the morality and the culture and the worship life of his kingdom, he first of all called all of the people together. So starting at the beginning of the chapter, it says, Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He brought together their leaders, both political and spiritual, the priests, the prophets, all the people. He went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. And he gathered those people around God's word because he wanted God's word to change their hearts, to change their behavior and their lifestyle, to pursue true righteousness and godliness. It says he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant and he renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul. And then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. And then he acted swiftly. He purged his nation of godless idolatry. He removed the idols and the altars that had actually taken residence in the temple of the Lord. Some of them he burned. Some of them he ground down into a powder. It completely destroyed anything that looked like an idol across the entire land and country. He destroyed the place where people had made it a custom to go and sacrifice their own children. Josiah hoped to, to stomp out that gross immorality from his culture and his kingdom. And it didn't just stop at his borders. No, he was so zealous as he pursued this that, that he went outside of his own territory. You look at verse 15. Even the altar at Bethel, the high place made by Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who had caused Israel to sin, even that altar and high place he demolished. That was in the northern kingdom. A northern kingdom that had already fallen. It was outside of his territory, outside his jurisdiction, but he was so passionate. Verse 19 gives us even more. It says, Josiah removed all the shrines at the high places that the kings of Israel, again, northern kingdom, not Judah, the, his kingdom, that the kings of Israel had built in the towns of Samaria and that had aroused the Lord's anger. And not only did Josiah want to purge all of the evil from his land, but he also urged the people to return to a true worship of the Lord. He reinstated the Passover celebration, something that should have been a yearly highlight for the entire nation. 
And it's verse 22 that tells us this. Neither in the days of the judges who led Israel, nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, had any such Passover been observed. And so in conclusion of Josiah's life and his rule, the historian writes this. He says, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength. It's an oppressive evaluation of this young man, this young king. So does the next line shock you? Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn away from the heat of his fierce anger. All that Josiah had done, it didn't make any difference. It didn't change the course of world history. How do you feel when your Christian life seems to be a failure? When your Christian life doesn't seem to make a big impact in the world around you, it doesn't seem to incite change? Do you get cynical? When the blessings that you have hoped for a child, a job, a home. Don't seem to come to you even though you're living life the right way, but those blessings seem to come to people who go about it all wrong. Do you get angry or frustrated? When you don't feel you're as blessed, but then you see someone else enjoying prosperity, but they never even give a second thought, never even think to thank and praise God for all that they have. Do you get angry with God when it seems like He hasn't given you the credit that you deserve for the righteous life that you are living? And if you feel some of those things, then maybe you don't have the right why motivating your life of godliness and righteousness. And so if you're taking notes today, that's the first thing I'm going to have you write down, that we need to ask ourselves this question, do I have the right why? Here's a really interesting thing about Josiah. Josiah knew that all of his reforms, all of his changes, the push that he would make for godliness in his country, he knew it wouldn't change a thing. In chapter 22, we, found, we would find out that Josiah, he wanted God's direct input into what he was about to do, and so he sent some of his officials to go to a prophetess And that prophetess, she clearly spoke God's own word that he would not pull back from the devastation that he had declared was coming against Judah. 
And still, Josiah made his reforms. Still, Josiah wanted to turn the people back to the true Lord. Still, he wanted to eliminate idolatry from their lives. And you have to wonder, why? If he knew that it wasn't going to make a difference, it wasn't going to change the course of world history, why? What was his motivation? Why would he put up and deal with all the pushback that he certainly would have received? Why would he go to to this monumental task? And why would he pursue it so zealously? For Josiah, it wasn't about earthly respect or recognition or success. For Josiah, it wasn't about earning God's favor. For Josiah, it was all about his desire to glorify the God who had created him, blessed him, and saved him. His why was that book of the covenant that spoke the truth of the holiness and the justice and the grace of the Lord over all creation. And it's that holiness and justice and grace of our God that that we want to discover again today and we want that to become our why. And there's a couple of key truths that we can learn about God in this section of history. The first one may shock you. God is not about second chances. I know, sometimes we, we like to think that way, right? That, that God gives us all a, a second chance. But do you know that a second chance really does you no good? If all God did was give you a second chance at holiness and righteousness, then you would have to live your entire life And always do good. Always be righteous. Always be holy. And that's not just a monumental task. It is an impossible task because of our sinful nature. And so thank God that he is not the God of just second chances. God, he couldn't just give us a second chance. He needed to give us a solution that was outside of ourselves, a solution that, that was free from our efforts, free from the risk that we might fail at adhering to and attaining righteousness. God needed to procure a solution that we could never create on our own. And he did. He has. He sent Jesus. And we needed more than a second chance. We needed a Savior. And we have one in Jesus Christ. God is the one who has changed the world. And that's the second thing that we really discover about our God. Our God 
will do everything, all that is necessary to change the world. And Jesus has done all that was necessary for our salvation. And everything that was coming, the, the destruction of Jerusalem, the, the captivity into which God's people would be carried, and all of the subsequent history, it was all crucial parts to God's plan to save this world. All of them were, were key aspects vital to the, to the grand picture that would display his grace and his mercy to a dying world. All of those events, they were like chapters in this book. The book of, of the covenant, the promise of God's grace. And so you also have made a foundational discovery of the covenant of God's grace. This foundational discovery in the amazing good news of Jesus Christ, your Savior. He was given that monumental task and he pursued it zealously to turn God's fierce anger away from you. And it serves as the foundation of your life. It provides the why. That Jesus, Lord over this whole creation, King over heaven and earth, that he became a baby. All eight pounds, six ounces, 20 inches of human flesh and blood in order to save you. And he grew and he lived a life of 33 years of total righteousness, complete holiness and perfection, and still that life led him to the cross where he suffered and died so that you might know peace. So might, you might know the forgiveness of all of your sins. And so through Jesus' cross, every argument of the devil, it has been demolished. Every accusation that Satan might make against you, it has been burned away. It has been ground into nothingness. Because you are free, you are forgiven. God's grace has been poured out to you. His covenant, the promise of his grace and mercy has been made to you in Jesus Christ. Jesus' empty tomb, it declares your forgiveness, your total peace. And that covenant of grace, it has been renewed to you in the waters of baptism in which God claimed you as his own. You have it renewed every single time that you eat of his holy supper. You eat of his own body, drink of his own blood that was poured out the Lamb of God sacrificed to set you free. That is the covenant of God's grace. And Jesus calls people from the greatest to the least, all people to come and put their trust in his promises. That's your why. That's your motivation for a godly life. Because God is not the God of second chances. You already have God's favor and his incredible grace and approval in Christ. You don't need a second chance, but you need the brand new life that Jesus has given to you. 
That's the gospel. It's the foundation of your entire life. It's the why. Your amazing God that you serve. And so here's my challenge for you today. And this final reality check to live your life like you have discovered an amazing treasure in the gospel. To live your life like that truth really changes you. To live your life like you have a reason for joy and you have a reason to zealously pursue righteousness and godliness, this monumental task to praise your God with every single day. And even if it seems like it makes little change in the world, because it is precious in God's sight. And it may just change the world after all. At the end of his life, Josiah was able to rest in peace. After all of his reforms, all of his push for godliness and righteousness among his people, After tearing down all of those idols and their altars, he was able to rest in peace. But he didn't rest in peace because of what he had done. He was able to rest in peace because of the blessing of God's covenant. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, after you have lived this life to give all glory to God, your Heavenly Father, after you've pursued his kingdom and his righteousness with all your strength and, and all your mind, you also will be able to rest in peace. Not because of your pursuits. Not because of your righteousness or your godliness. You will be able to rest in peace because of the covenant of the cross of Jesus Christ that has forgiven you of all your sins and given you his own righteousness. And that is the greatest why behind our lives. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.